Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Today, really excited because we're always looking at the positive. David and I always talk about uh, your uh, God winks and all. And a lot of people through the years have been talking about bucket lists. And I have a bucket list, and i got to check these things off. Well, our guest is actually going to give us a different approach to that. She's saying that you should replace your bucket list with a trash it list. <laughs> so are, are we gonna, does that mean we're going to get trashy this hour? I'm not sure. Yeah. She is from... She was growing up in rural South Carolina, and she had learned how to trash negative thoughts and overcoming adversity to become a successful woman. So we may get trashy, but I'm sure we're going to have some nuggets in there as well. Without further ado, to the author of Rhinestones on My Flip Flops, I'd like to welcome Jane Jenkins Herlong to the podcast. Welcome, Jane. Oh, thank you. I'm very honored to be here. Yes, indeed. Thanks for being here. And we were talking about you are in a small town in rural South Carolina. I'd like for you to talk about your upbringing, and I'd like for you to talk a little bit about what was it like growing up in your small town and what what it used to be like when you were hearing trashy statements from people, <laughs> the negative statements, and how you were able to turn that around. Well, I was reared on a low country South Carolina tomato farm. My daddy was uh, – a hard worker, great guy, 10th grade educated, but he, he really knew how to grow tomatoes. And then I was such a tomboy. And when I would go to school, I, I dressed like a boy, I act like a boy, everybody called me names, and I had really big lips and got teased. And um, But I, you know what? I, I love them now. Man, I love these lips. I, I grew into them, quote from my mother. And so it, it was tough, though, because when you're little and that little sticks and stones break my bones but words don't hurt, oh, they do. And so I just decided that I was just going to have to let that be a motivation to be better. And I'm th- this little farm girl, daddy, we were raised in a tenant house and, you know, didn't have a whole lot of assets. And I remember the, the day when the high school girls came over to pick the cutest little girls out. And, of course, I got snickered at. But I got determined, too, because I went to that little beauty pageant, Little Miss Merry Christmas, and I, my brother said we needed a fishbowl. And I remember staring at that fishbowl. And the girls using it for questions to be retrieved out of. And I was so fascinated with it because I realized something that I might not have all the qualities to be um, recognized. And my little friend that got picked over me with her little stick-out dress and jacked-up-to-Jesus hair, I call it. But I realized that little fishbowl was a contribution towards the next step. So if you can take those opportunities to go and move up a notch and let that be an inspiration, you know what, I just need to be better to myself so I can have more wonderful things unfold. And that's where the trash it list comes in. Even as a little girl, I started trashing things that were not the positive things to help me go and step up. Does that make sense, y'all? It totally makes sense. And uh, I I had just watched a couple of weeks ago Beautiful People. Did you see that movie? I did not. But that's one I'm going to write down. Absolutely. They're in... um, they're in South Carolina. It looks like a very rural town, and it was one of those, you know, you can't wait to leave, and people are, quote-unquote, stuck there. And it does have some of the uh, paranormal stuff in there because that, that's what I'm attracted to. So, but anyway, but they had a, a slant on uh, overcoming how people look at you. 
Oh, that's that's huge. And and you know, we're so Facebook savvy and social media savvy and we compare everything and it it really is hard on these kids, I think. And more than anything, they've got to learn that when you know, it used to be in my day and age you pick up a, a magazine and go, Oh, she's perfect, I'm not. Well she's airbrushed too, girlfriend, you know. <laughs> and so <laughs> So you just got to realize that you have talents and gifts and you got to find them. And I do a whole speech called Don't Throw Tomatoes at My Field of Dreams. And it's funny because I'm a Southern humorist, but it talks about finding your shine, getting rid of or culling the bad stuff, and that would be the trash it part, or either know when to plow up or plow through. And I think those three little nuggets are great to look into for your own personal success journey. Now, I have a question. So you're talking about don't throw tomatoes and plow through, and you have a lot of this farming lingo. Are you saying that women are going back to the farming industry? Well, you know, women in agriculture are pretty big anymore. In fact, I'm speaking in Louisiana uh, at a conference called Women in Ag, and, boy, you'd be surprised. And there's a speaker out there, and instead of farm-er, she's farm-her because she's mm-hmm. growing her own vegetables and talking about nutrition. So, you know, that's a big thing anymore about like, what you put into your brain because it's going to show up somewhere else. You know what, that, that is so huge. And so kind of like the tomatoes, when, when you say, is that a regular tomato or has that been pumped with all types of who knows what? And so you're saying that there's a, a, a resurgence going into the agricultural industry being led by women maybe. Yes, and it's it's amazing. I mean, I used to work for an agricultural company, Alice Chalmers, out of Wisconsin, and they've merged several times. But I started seeing back then, and like if you go to any FFA, Future Farmers of America, I spoke at their national conference, and I mean, they all wear blue jackets, and they're great kids. But boy, the women. So that's really cool. It's exciting to see women doing things historically or male-dominated professions. Yeah, I think that's the theme of what you're saying. You're saying that, you know, if you find your lane, if you find, in in the marketing terms, you find your niche, you're not going to make everyone happy. But if you find something that you're really interested in doing, uh, the sky's the limit. Completely. And that's that's the challenge is you've got to, here I go, plow through the negative. And, you know, a lot of people love to encourage as long as you don't pass them by. And then all of a sudden, you're not their best friend anymore. And they get in you know, jealousy and all of that is a really bad thing. And then that's where the culling process goes. You know, you've got to cull people. And it's sad. You, you may have to cull family. But if they're, if they're going to be energy vampires and not help you reach your best version of you, and if you can't laugh your way through it, then you can have a problem really finding what you, I call it the law of the harvest. You know, you look in the Bible and it says, so is a man, so is he will reap. That's that's the most solid principle, whether you're a Bible person or not. But, I mean, I look at my brother. I have a wonderful brother, but he made the bad decision to use drugs, and now he's addicted to crack. And I was talking to my husband, and I said, you know, I think my brother's finally turning around. And he said, well, it's sad at his age because now his fields are are, are smaller. So that was a lot of wisdom in that. So, And you can start sowing good seed earlier. You're going to have a a tremendous harvest as you age. Yeah, very true. Uh, just a little topical thing. I know um, when we were talking about Facebook and such, and they always had those good, feel-good stories. And I think it was a week, no, it was about two weeks ago, it was raining really hard, and it was cold in South Carolina, and the Girl Scouts are out. I'm sure they're out all over the country. Shout out to the Girl Scouts. And 
it was cold, and they were out there, you know, pushing their, their, their cookies, and this guy comes along and is like, girls, you guys, you need to go inside. I'm going to pay for all your cookies. And it was like $540, and everybody's like, feel good. And then a week later, he was busted on like a big drug ring. I didn't see that rest of the story. Oh, I saw the other one about the, hey, girls, let me help you out here. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> when oh you're talking God. about harvest, I guess it goes both ways because you don't know. <laughs> it's all perspective. <laughs> he lied. You know, he, he, got, he got infamous all of a sudden. He sure did. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, I shouldn't laugh at that, but dang, that's pretty good. Because <laughs> yeah, so, I do it on the side, I mean, but you're a comedian, so I'm sure it's oh, topical in your backyard. That's you like funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I do want to go back for a second uh, because you're talking about Law of the Harvest. And, you know, another saying is that people are, are in your life for seasons, you know, for a day, a night, or a lifetime. And so how are you determining this law of the harvest because, you know, I mentioned beautiful people and I, I love movies and you can yell at the screen all you want, but people don't hear you. So how are you, are there dirt, certain signs and symbols that you're seeing in relationships where you have to reevaluate before it's too late? Oh yeah. I, <laughs> I reposted something on my social media sites and it said, I wish people came with a trailer before I decide <laughs> if I wanted to be my friend or not. <laughs> So, but you know, my good friend Larry Wingett's a great speaker and comedian, and uh, he said everybody has a comma after their name, and you better like what people say when they pause and talk about you, and I think that's huge. That's like your branding, and yeah, there are signs, I can tell you, and, and, and really, my mother always said the longer you live, the more things will surprise you. I mean, I can, you can think you can know somebody, and you see how they handle something, and it really makes you retract a little bit, like, you know what, I just... I'll have to enjoy that person from a distance. You know, and you have to, you don't have to, I mean, I think we should love people, but we don't have to like people. When I like you, that is so good. And I'm picky. I think the older you get, the, the smaller your circle is, and it should be. It should be. I, I put in my last book, you should only have six friends, real friends, three on each side of the casket. <laughs> and I, I really I really think that you really need to be careful who you let into your life. And people, if they don't fix their trash at moments, they, they could be the worst drainers on your soul. And time, I'm telling you, you can never get back. And so you've got to invest wisely. You know, you can help people with their trash at list, but if they don't truly take advantage of the fact that maybe, you know, let's help you get to the next step, I, I'm washing my hands I'm done. <laughs> I'm not going to spend my time. And I've heard people say, you can spend your whole life trying to help someone who really doesn't want your help and ruin your mm-hmm. life in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I think Jane, humor, me, humor helps you trash things, too. Yeah, definitely. So let me ask you, Jane, so you, you said that you know you grew up in South Carolina working in the tomato fields, but... I imagine you probably couldn't have imagined where you would be today or the the life that you have at that time. So growing up, what did you want to be when you were growing up? You know, I just felt like God had his hand on me, to be honest, and I just felt like there was something that was going to happen. I always felt like there was some calling. And when, you know, I was, I've been very honored. I, you know, was in the Miss America pageant when swimsuits were cool. And, um, and that was a, a big moment for me. It wasn't anything about 
skin and hello look at me it was like wow i got rid of these fat thighs to walk across the stage in front of a million people that was like a personal win for me and but i just kept striving to be better and to do better and truly i I mean the miss america pageant and the standards and that's what everybody says oh pageant pageants but here's the thing uh the miss america system teaches you how to communicate now i can do that and i learned it there I mean, I think I had a natural gab before. And then it teaches you how to take care of yourself, and we call that swimsuit, but I call it what's my lifestyle and what's my fitness. And then the branding statement of who you are. We would call, I would call that you know, evening gown. But how you present yourself, your style, your carriage, your, your, your poise, your posture, that's huge for people see you. And they say, wow, that's a confident person. And then talent. Talent is whatever you do well. I mean, we were just at church, and I was looking at our little fellowship hall. And you would not think someone who could bake a caramel cake would would be a person that's a person with a talent. But that great aunt of mine won the National Grange competition. If you all remember, you know, the first time I heard the word Grange was Little House on the Prairie. But she won us a building. So any talent can be a big talent. It's just how you use it. Well said. So do you remember your very first no to next experience? Yes. It was sitting in that broken chair watching those girls in those big old beehive hairdos and those swishy dresses, and I kept falling out of that seat. But I was so passionate. It's like I connected. And little did I know, with my daddy struggling and living in a tenant house and no money, and me in my corduroy pants and my flannel shirt and my penny loafers would end up being 17 years later walking across the stage of Miss America. And then I academically struggled. I was diagnosed as being dyslexic, and I didn't know that. I was teaching dyslexic children. That's how I knew because I got fired. That's pretty bad. <laughs> oh. And my IQ was so low, I'm going, gracious. I mean, I saw it one time. The teacher said, don't you look. This is your IQ. And I looked anyway. And I thought, Lord have mercy, this is not good. But I re- those were the negative things that I just had to say, wait a minute. And I even told the college admission I could not get into colleges. And I even told that guy, I said, you have no idea what's inside of me. You have got to give me a chance. And that's why I remember, y'all remember the movie Mulan? She sings that song and says, when will my reflection show who I am inside? And I would, I love that. I made my children watch it a thousand times. I said, remember that? Because sometimes your, your inside has to catch up with your outside. What about the other yeah. side of that? And that um, what I always acknowledge is contrast. And so when you're talking no to next, it gave you some uh, parameters as to where you could go. Right. Some people would say, oh, this is my lot in life. But you're like, that gave you your gumption, if you will. But if if you had a silver spoon in no contrast at all, do you think you would be where you are today? You know, I wonder about that. And probably I don't think I would be as content because I think it's through the journey of the whole thing. We've heard this a million times. It's not the destination, but the journey. But that is really big when you start struggling through improving people and proving to yourself that's who you prove it to i mean when you are with an alcoholic and a drug addict you don't say oh do it for your family no you got to do it for you or that's never going to work and uh yeah i think that that you just have to tell yourself you know encourage yourself be around encouraging people you got to have encouragers 
And you got to have what Zig Ziglar, God bless him, I was privileged to know the man, he would say, be a good finder. Find good in other people. And here's a real key thing I noticed when I was growing up. When I would, uh, like first grade, I'd sit by a girl that supposedly a little girl that got to be merry in the Christmas play and had it all and seemed to be perfect. I wouldn't sit there and be ugly to her and throw a rock at her. I'd want to get to know her. And I'd want to friend her and I'd say, what is it? And I want to find out what is it that makes you special? And it would be, it, I would be curious. Some people just get real internalized, jealous, bitter, and shut down. And let me tell you what, that'll take you out. That's what you call mental illness. And I, I, can, I can talk about that too because my sister, bless her heart, she never could see her talents. She always would look at my talents. And she was brilliantly talented. And then um, developed such bitterness and jealousy. And five months after we lost our mother, she died. And I, I really believe she developed a mental illness for comparing herself and not appreciating what God gave her instead of wanting something that was not in her wheelhouse, and it about drove her crazy. You know what? I, I want to acknowledge you in that statement for that. That actually, uh, that's one of my God links that I needed to hear today because uh, tomorrow is a three-year anniversary for my middle sister who had transitioned three years ago, and I believe a lot of that was comparing herself to others. And she had a lot of gifts and living, you know, she on the outside, living the life, living overseas, cosmopolitan, but inside, uh, that's the inside game that ultimately matters. And uh, so I think that's huge, and I appreciate you highlighting that point. Well, I appreciate you sharing that, too, because a lot of people don't realize how torturous it can be when you keep trying to step out of what, where you are and grow from where the gifts you have. And it really can drive people crazy, and it's sad. Mm-hmm. So, James, the other thing that you, go ahead, David. I was going to ask you: Do you remember the 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 first time that you discovered the power of uh, laughter and being funny and making people laugh? I do. I my mother was funny, and I loved the way she saw things. She would we would sit. She'd get her hair done. Great day. Don't ever miss that Wednesday morning hairdo thing. You know, that's just a self esteem day. And she would sit there with these wingtip glasses on with these little rhinestones, and we'd be sitting in that big old Ford Fairlane or whatever it was, and she would make up stories about people. And I would love it. And I thought she knew them, and she didn't know them. She was just entertaining me. And my grandfather was a great storyteller. And I would, I would laugh, and I would listen to my mama, and I would, I'd add to it. And she'd say, oh, that was funny. And then so she kind of nurtured the – and then every – Every day at 10 o'clock, the woman that was a part of my life, a second mama, we would watch I Love Lucy at 10 o'clock every morning and laugh and laugh and laugh. So that was part of the nurturing of humor. And it's been developed on how I think, I think humorists are wired and comedians are wired differently. It's just the way they see things and how they re- recall things. And I see things funny. And I'm glad I'm really glad. And my mother, to the day she died, I mean, she was funny. And I love that about her because, you know, the Bible tells us a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. But a lot of people don't realize what's hooked onto that is a crushed spirit dries the bones. You see a lot of people down and out, and they cannot pull themselves up, and their bones dry up, honey, and it's it's done. It's over. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the state of, of comedy? Because... You know, with, since er, before, like you're saying, you're, you're going back in time. And before I go into it, 
I want to make a correction. It wasn't Beautiful People. The name of the movie is Beautiful Creatures, and they're in Gatlin, South Carolina. Okay, I'm going to look that up, Beautiful Creatures. And so when we we were talking about uh, Lucille Ball or others, they had a kind of mystique because you couldn't really touch them. But today, you know, you have access to all these comedians and or anyone, it's celebrities and what have you. And so comedians are under fire. Uh, I know recently Jerry Seinfeld said he doesn't even want to do the college circuit anymore because I read that anything that he considers like just regular humor would offend one person in that audience, and then they'll start a campaign, and you know he'll lose funding and advertising money. And so, what do you think about the state of comedy today? Well, even Kevin Hart, you know, I mean, um, you know, with the with the Academy Awards, and they went back in time, and he said some things or did some things, and yeah, it's very it, it's very subjective, and it's very, I mean, I mean, I wrote a funny book, and it's a kind of a biblically based uh, book, um, and it's not a preachy book, but it's that rhinestones on my flip flops, and it's really hard to gauge what people would call a clean Christian comedy, um, but I just try to stay in my the dimensions of the place that I know I do the best as a South. I spoke uh, in Minnesota, and I made a comment, and it was, y'all wouldn't believe it, it was nothing. And boy, I had two women ream me out on the evaluations. And I get what they're saying about comedy. You've got to be really careful. And a lot of my material, I've dropped some things. I mean, I used to talk about uh, when I needed to get that goldfish bowl to go into the pageant. My brother wanted I, I kill my goldfish. Well, Lord, that didn't go over. And I was just, you know, <laughs> and so I thought, I'm dropping that line. So, you know, a lot of times you've got to be careful. But um, on the flip side, we've gotten so overly sensitive to this stuff, and people are afraid to open their mouths. And right. they're missing a lot of opportunities to loosen up and laugh. And I call my business Sweet Tea Wisdom Southern Fried Humor. And because it's all to me where my gift is, it's not all about laughter. It's also about wisdom within that laughter. And that's where a comedian and a humorist differ. A humorist is a storyteller with comedy bits in it, so to speak. And you might not get the big burst-out laugh and stuff and the shock value. You would just hear a really cool story that, that highlights a point. And you learn to fluff it up a little bit, and, for, and we call it professional fabrication. And so that's the difference. But I think it's sad we've gotten so far out from really stuff that's funny, and people are afraid to call it what it is. You know what the number one show on that, that people are watching is of okay. The Office. For kids, for young people uh, in the office. Yeah. And why would that be? Because it's irreverently funny. Yes. And they don't get that. They're scared to death to be Michael Scott in the world. You know, of course, that wouldn't work anyway. But they <laughs> love that show. That is true. Shout out to my nieces and nephews. Uh, we can share stories now because of the office. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys watch that? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah my, my children, I, they love it. I mean, I've got two adult children. They call me, and they always say, and my son called me yesterday. He said, Mama, you know um, the episode when Michael Scott, blah, blah, blah. Remember that? I said, yes. Yeah. That's my French teacher. That guy Ooh. drives me crazy. I mean, he'll he'll highlight episodes, and then somebody and my daughter will say, "Mom, remember the episode of Seinfeld? Remember the time George was trying to be the bad guy to attract the good girl? Yeah, my friend's dating this bad guy. See, it's that. But they don't wow. have. No, it's funny how that works. Yeah, 
Oh, I, and you mentioned uh, sweet tea wisdom, so I, I have to ask the all-important question for those on the East Coast. I don't know where the actual line is going north, but I'm assuming in South Carolina, you guys, when you ask for tea, it's automatically sweet, is it not? Oh, my gosh. And the worst thing, I, I put something on um, in a social media site. I can't remember which one. It was like the worst disappointment in the world when a Southerner sips tea and realizes it has no sugar in it. It's like the worst <laughs> shock. It, it is. It's terrible. I mean, I was speaking up in Vermont about a month ago, and I asked for tea, and I went, good grief, how do y'all drink this stuff? <laughs> and then they come down here and say, good grief, how do y'all drink this stuff? And they went, <laughs> yeah. you know, instant, down here you get instant diabetes, let me just tell you. <laughs> instant. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, appreciate this because, um, uh, you know, shout out to my cousin. I went to his birthday party yesterday. He's 45. And, you know, all his friends, family come, you know, fly from all over the country, whatever. And he had this big cake. He, they light up the candles and then he blows out the candles and then they cover the cake. And then at the end of the night, like, there was only like two cuts out of it. And everybody was like, yo, what happened to the cake? And everybody's like, diabetes. Because <laughs> we're older now. <laughs> you can't eat it. <laughs> it is so tragic. <laughs> I know it. It's awful now. God, used to be, I remember my daughter would fix like, I'm going to melt a marshmallow and put sugar in it, peanut butter and chocolate. And I said, you just smear it all over you, honey, and have fun. Because that is not wow. going to last. <laughs> Well, I, I do want to kind of go back to Law of the Harvest because, you know, like you're saying, it won't last. So the person that you know at 18 will not be the same person at 28, 38, 48, 58. So when you set them out the pasture, so to speak, are you keeping a window open for them to come back in or you just kind of just write them off? No, I think that uh, to me that's where wisdom comes in and a lot of prayer <laughs> because you have to know, I think you have to know when, I think you always need to leave the door ajar. I think it's wrong to shut it and lock it. I really do because, I mean, I tell my, uh, we've had a really bad family problem and I could be just mean and shut it and lock it and put a deadbolt on it, but I'm not doing that because I know one day I'm going to, I'm going to have to go back through that door, and I never want to close it. And because, yeah. like, when, like you know, when my brother passes away, I mean, I'll be, I'll be grieving with the rest of the the family. But it's hard to have that door wide open right now. I mean, I would entertain a relationship, but it would have to be with a lot of careful wisdom and baby steps. Mm-hmm. I mean, I see him, and we have a nice conversation, and we get along, but it's not that heart commitment because of so many circumstances within the family it's just it's just been a very hard thing and i mean a lot of people say you have to forgive and forget well i don't agree with that i think you have to forgive and i think forgiveness is huge but i think that you have to also remember but if remembering keeps you from forgiving then that's a problem but i think you have to remember i think you'd be an idiot if somebody burned you financially let's say and you said yeah you want to do that again i mean that's just stupid (laughs) Sure. <laughs> Let's do that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love torture. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking there's an older book uh, called Bounce. Are you familiar with that book? No, but my friend was telling me about that because she actually wrote a book called Bounce Don't Break. Okay. It, well, I, I haven't read your friend's book, and I need to, I've written that down. 
but with the the premise of balance is a little bit about like we were talking about earlier with contrast and so it was like the harder the bounce the bigger the recovery could be and so you know sometimes people have to be flat on their back so uh the other thing that i realize is here in america you know we're in our little bubble and one of my sisters is married to a german guy and when they come to the States, he's just like, I love you guys, Hollywood movies, because there's always a good ending. Apparently, outside the U.S., they have realistic endings. So I always feel like, you know, like you said, looking for the be a good finder, you can always find redemption in a person's story. And I think America kind of loves that underdog. You're always rooting for them. So, you know, what, what would you say about that person that your brother, whomever else, they're down on their luck. You're going to keep them at arm's length, but... Um, how would you handle and hope and cheer for them when they do reach their pinnacle? Well, I think uh, my good friend Willie Jolly is a wonderful um, minister, friend, speaker, and he wrote a book called A Setback is a Setup for a Comeback. And I think the process of coming back is huge because when you see consistency in someone's behavior and you see someone like I have another friend that I'm, I love dearly, but she has um, entered into alcoholism, and I've been to a, a counselor on this. And the consistency of the pattern of fighting back, as with my brother, is really what you're looking for. And I know with a, with a crack addict, it's a three-year journey. And I can see consistency of three years. And I know people make mistakes, and I understand that. But you've got to continue. It's just like this. My brother went to rehab for like the 18th time. And the people said, how many times have you been to rehab? And he said, 10. They said, well, uh, you know what to do. You're just not doing it. And I know they say it's a disease and blah, blah, blah. I get that. But I do think when the doctor gives you a prescription and you don't take it, it's your fault. And I think that's where personal accountability comes in. And you can't blame people. I mean, my brother wrote me a letter from rehab, and he and it was a beautiful letter until the very last line. And it was like venom. And I thought, well, we ain't ready yet, are we, sweetie? So, I mean, I'm just, and he's 73, y'all. He's no spring chick. When you get to be 73, number one, how are you still above ground? I don't mean to be flippant, but seriously. And the other thing is, you know, dang it, you know. Because I remember my mother, the way she handled that, she called me one time and she said, you know, your brother's married again. It was like wedding number five. And I, and she said, do you know her name? I went, no. He said, oh, it's Cleopatra. <laughs> and I said, what? He said, yeah, Cleopatra. She's the queen of denial. <laughs> <laughs> we walked right into that one, David. <laughs> <laughs> Is that funny or what? But see, that was how she handled things she couldn't fix and that is pivotal because you know a lot of people they just carry it and that's the trash it stuff it's like i can't fix my brother i can't fix one of my best friends i gotta fix how i handle when they disappoint themselves in me and i'm sad about that i just gotta handle me and i think that's where people don't have life skills and and that's what i'm really passionate about and i think that's when people start to blame and be stupid and then they just stay on their wheel of misfortune you know, that's a good point right now. There's a lot of finger pointing, I guess, because of social media, you can get your message out regardless. And there there seems to be an overwhelm. Uh, the good thing is that the algorithm always changes. And so if you're always having a pity party, then the algorithm will give you more of that. 
And I believe on some level life does that too. If you're having that pity party, the universe is like, oh, that's what you're focusing on? We'll give you more of that. Well, so, yeah. My, my good friend says a pity party is so much fun, there's only one guest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, <laughs> I agree. But, but, you know, I mean, in my, one of my, in my speech, I also, when I, when I do this particular speech, I talk about the cold principle, and I tell a story about my husband and myself going into a uh, a perk trip that he won with New York Life, and um, this woman came up to him, and we were like jaw drop because she said many, many wordy dirds. We were like, well, what? And then my husband, the way he handled it was so different from the way I handled it. And then at the conclusion of the story, I say, you know, I realized right then life is truly like the bumper sticker I read. What if the hokey pokey really is what it's all about? And if you think about that, <laughs> because you dissect it, you put your right foot in. Now, the analogy is do the right thing. And then right foot out, right foot in. And the next thing, what? You shake it off. You shake it all about. You've got to shake it off. You do the hokey pokey, and then you turn yourself around. You look at it from another angle, and then you'll have peace. But if you don't do the right thing, you can't shake it off and turn it around. Yeah, that's great. It's one of my favorite sayings. The hokey pokey is what it's all about. <laughs> so true. Yeah. And yeah. I make people stand up in my audience and do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I say, we're going to do it right now. <laughs> Wow. You're right about uh, shaking it off there on the Internet the other day. It was, in uh, salute to you, it was International Women's Day the other day. So um, shout out to all the women out there, and yourself included, Jane. Thank and you. Let's so, just say normal women, okay? Let's make that distinction. right but when you're talking about shaking it off this one woman said she was at the airport and you know you're at the airport and you're always people watching if you're not running for your plane and so she saw this couple they were kind of going at it back and forth and then she's uh the movie captain marvel had just come out so whole woman empowerment what have you and the woman had called her spouse, husband, boyfriend, whatever, Captain Complainy Pants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write that down right now. Yeah. Glad my husband just walked out of the office. <laughs> and so people were like, I want to divorce her right now, or I want to marry her right now, because she's obviously, <laughs> you know, she's like, shake it off, buddy. You know, it's huge. <laughs> and so, so I think you know what when you say that other to other people, they may not know that they're not shaking it off. So they are compact, Captain Complainy Pants because they're not really learning to shake it off. Yes, you know a lot of people and women are perfect with this. I mean, honey, we get on the phone and we relive it with just three of the girlfriends, and we got to call the other three. And then we've got to dissect it, figure it out, and it's just pathetic. We spend more time just trying to figure something out when we just need to go whatever. You know, one of my favorite words, just get over it. And I have a very wise friend who's president of High Point University in North Carolina, and he always says, get over it and get over it fast. 
That's how you deal with stuff. I mean, there are things you have to grieve and go through. I mean, when you have horrible things happen and, and, you know, sadness and death and illness and all of that, but you do. You mean, you have to grieve. Um, That's a tremendous part of life is learning that grief is is good for you. And we can grieve over the loss of a a job, a car. I mean, grief is everywhere. But you got to go through it to get through it. A lot of things you can't go under or around. you got to go through. But I tell you, when you get on the other side of it, you do feel like a hero to yourself. One big takeaway that you said was uh, you felt that God had his hand on you. Yeah. So when you're talking about get over it, get over it fast and what have you, do you feel that it was your your sense of a greater power that shows you that these are smaller things if I kind of give it up to the higher power? Oh, completely. You know, when we had a family lawsuit and it was devastating and I could not get through to my sister, just could not. And I felt so strongly about going to her and asking forgiveness again. (laughs) And my friend said, golly, you're crazy to do that. You've already done that. And I said, no, I really feel like I need to do it again. So we were at an event, and sure enough, she was there. And I said, Lord, this is your your show. And then it was like the sea parted, and there she was. I couldn't believe it. And I went up to her, and I said, I am so sorry if I've hurt you. And she said, okay, like that. And she died almost one year from that day. Now, who was that for? That was for me. And I just had to be obedient to what I felt in my heart I needed to do. So I I just feel like it was a God thing, definitely. I love it. Do you remember the time you had to do uh, your first experience with public speaking, and how did that go? I loved it. See, I when I was Miss South Carolina, they would say, "Oh, you got to speak to the Rotary Club." I'd go, "Bring it on, honey!" I just talk away and be. <laughs> I loved it, and so see, that was Charleston, and then Thomas and I met, and he was actually dating Miss America, so I broke them up, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he has a type. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, and I moved this little town, and I thought, what am I going to do here? So I just started speaking, and I did school programs because I, I really based it on my brother. And how, and it was during the time when the Just Say No was really big, and so I did this little musical program. So I loved it because I could see the kids were would come up to me and talk to me, and, you know, and a lot of them would share really, I'll tell you what, y'all, these kids today, woo, they got some stories. And I love doing that. And that kind of uh, went into a professional organization, the National Speakers Association. And so they taught me how to find those groups that really match what I do. So I've really loved it. And I feel a calling to that. I really do. I mean, it's a nice living. But if the truth were known, I'd pay somebody to let me do it. (laughs) Wow. I'm just, you know, I guess that book, that last book I wrote, the rhinestones on my flip-flops. I took all these iconic women, but biblical women, but it's not preachy. Like I called Eve deceived Eve because she didn't think she had a nice home. And she messed up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden she's in the wilderness and looks back and goes, dang, it, I had it all. I lost it all because I didn't think I had it all. And then you've got the other woman who tried to make everything so perfect. She's domestic diva Martha. And she missed the visit. And Mary got so mad at her sister. I mean, when have you had, she said, Jesus, would you yell at her for me? 
So she just missed the whole thing. And then you've got salty Mrs. Lott, who did not want to move forward with her new life. She liked her old life. And I've got friends that are widowed, and it's sad. You know, my older friends that have lost their spouses, and they're just hanging on to nothing. And so they've got to move. So that's the premise of the book. It's like for every decade of a woman's life, there's some advice that I have a flip-flop moment and a sparkle and shine moment. You know, I think it's a good little book, if I don't mind saying so myself. It's pretty good. <laughs> How do you really feel, Jane? <laughs> <laughs> like my mama said, every frog praises its own pond. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to Wayne Dyer, who, who had transitioned a couple of years ago, and you were talking about get over it, get over it fast. And you're talking about, you know, widowed or somebody that had gotten a divorce. And he was quoted as saying that the easiest way to get over somebody is to get under someone else. Oh, so true. Oh, my gosh. It's just like I would come up to this little town. My mama's gone. My sister's gone. I'm starting to have the pity party with only one guest. And I would go straight to the nursing home. And I say, I am not going to let myself get like this. I will ruin what God gave me. And I would go see those people and just hold their hand. And though I'd go see my good friend Virginia Honeycutt, funny, wonderful person. We'd sit there and chat. And, I mean, that's the best way to lift your spirits. You are so right. Get under someone who can bring you up, even if it's someone who just needs a helping hand or hold hold your hand type thing. I love that. You know, he was a great inspiration. I actually heard a woman in Makalay, and I cannot pronounce her last name, but she wrote the book Left to Tell about the Rwandan Holocaust you know, massacre. And she was in a bathroom for like 90 days. And people, her best friends were trying to kill her. And she went to see Wayne Dyer. And she, he looked in her face and said, you have a story. Didn't even know her. And he got her with his publisher, and the rest is history. You should read those books, Left to Tell. Yeah. She was, uh, she was on Oprah. I remember Oprah had her on as a guest, and that was an incredible story, yeah. Oh, man, let me tell you, and all these people that talk about how to, how to work a stage and how to, you know, go up here and go back there, hooey. She held on to some rosary beads and stood in one spot, and we were mesmerized by her message because it was powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So I think people also need to start, you know, read read books like that. Anything that can be encouraging and get out of your own mess. You know, make your mess your message. And I like that because, I mean, we've all been through stuff. Use it to help somebody else. I don't care if you're flying somewhere and sit by somebody who's just going down and having a down and out moment. Just be able to share only, only when you have conclusion. Only. You have to have conclusion. Because people want conclusion. When you share with them, they want to know, well, how'd you get through that? How'd you handle it? And if you, you better not open your mouth unless you're on the other side of it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and just, real, just, just real quick, I wanted to just mention that woman, Immaculate, she also wrote a book called The The Boy Who Met Jesus. So if you ever get a chance, read that one. That's a great one, too. I am going to write that down. Y'all got all kind of notes for me here that you're helping me. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was story. phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do y'all know the guy Nick Volajic? I don't. You should Google him. I mean, he has a torso. That is his body. 
I mean, of course, head, a torso. And he and I were on a program together, and it was they, they had him repeat three times because they wanted all 60,000 people to hear him. And, I, and I was, it was the FFA convention I mentioned. But you talk about a story. I mean, this child tried to drown himself when he realized he could not function just with a – and was born genetically just, you know, he just didn't have arms and legs. And he said that the reason he did not drown himself is because he could not bear knowing how much he would hurt his parents because they raised him in love and acceptance. And he's a phenomenal individual. And he's had, I mean, when I, when I met Nick, he had one child. And it's risky for them to have children. And he has like three or four now. He's just an incredible guy. He's from Australia, and he moved to California and is very busy speaking and should be. People need to hear his story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've written that one down. Good deal. Yeah. You had, we were talking about with the FFA that there's a resurgence with women in agriculture, like farm, her, and so on. And it seems like uh, in the cycle of life, we kind of go back to the basics. Did you leave, you know, your humble beginnings in rural South Carolina, travel the world, and then figured that your best influence would be back home? Completely, yeah. That's where the best influence came from because in those formative years, you know, I realized that Daddy worked so hard and I saw what he did. And he he was, like I said, he was not an educated man, but he was educated in what he knew to do. And I think about that experience of me working in the fields, and I only did that in the summer. And But what I learned was just so valuable. I had no idea that all those little life principles and, uh, I, you know, of, of customer service, of rejection. And, I mean, it's funny, though. It's a simple thing. But I would go to the person that was the best in Charleston County with tomatoes, and that was Leroy, the produce manager at Piggly Weekly. And I'd say, Leroy, let me see your tomatoes. And so you have to study people that know their stuff. And then I would end up, instead of just dumping the dirty tomatoes in a bucket and saying, here, here's 30 pounds, I'd clean them off and pull the stems out and get the fertilizer off and go to the packing shed and get wax boxes and pack the tomatoes. And and I made them look great. And I realized, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing a corporate life lesson, whatever you want to call it, just personal or anything in business, I was going the extra mile and didn't even know it. I just thought, heck, this will be more attractive. And I always sold every one. And I like to tell about this gentleman on Highway 17. He never smiled. He was rough. And he never, and he always dump out my box of tomatoes. And if they weren't consistent, he wouldn't buy them. And I realized he wanted to see what the last tomato looked like. And that was a life lesson because, to me, you have to be consistent in your life. And that's what people want to see is consistency. Those are the most successful people. And finally, I just had the most beautiful tomatoes on the bottom, and he finally grinned, and I realized why he never smiled. He didn't have dang teeth in his mouth. But he was funny. (laughs) 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 But, but see, he was a hard hard person to sell to. And if I could sell that Mr. Yates on Highway 17 – I could do anything. You know, you felt like Wonder Woman. So, well, you see how simple that is? It is so simple. But it's very profound as you get older and go back to your roots and say, wait a minute, that really kind of made me who I am today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I usually ask women for, you know, dating, what have you, where they're from, because ultimately they want to go back home. I don't think they know it subconsciously, but, you know, I think it's on some level of taking your life lessons and bringing them back home. You know what I wrote that? It's so funny you say that because I just wrote another article, and although I'm funny, this one, one, it was called Going Back to Dysfunction. Because I felt like leaving that environment, I became functional. But when my parents got older and the dysfunction was still there, which meant they were not going to get the attention and care because it was dysfunctional, I had to go back and be functional for them and give them some peace and security, especially my mother. And let me tell you, that's when the tomatoes come. And not the squishy ones either. They're the hard ones. And people just, they, they think that you're going to come in just for your own benefit. I was lied about. I was lied to. They tried, one time they, uh, it was false accusation from a police report. I mean, it was the nastiest, trashiest stuff. And I just had to persevere and hold my head up because I knew I was doing the right thing. Wow. But you do have to take your function and go back many times to your dysfunction. And be the only functional person, but you're going to be the bullseye target, and it, it hurts. Yeah, I would think that, you know, when you said your, your six real friends, they, the people that never left may have some sort of resentment. Who do you think you are? You think you're better than us and what have you, and it's unwanted attention to, that you bring to yourself. You know, you are so right, and I've had that said to me. And that's the sad part because they are going to have one year of experience 20 times, if you know what I mean. Right. They're going to stay right there in that, in that mud pit, and they're not going to get out. It's like the, when Jesus healed the, the man and he was in the, you know, couldn't get in the pool, and he said, get up and get in the pool, you know. Hmm. You hmm. want to get well, get in the pool. And so that's what you have to do. You've got to get up. I mean, a lot of people say stuff like, oh, Bless their hearts. You know, in the South, yeah. they say that. <laughs> yeah. not, you know, that's just a big old cuss is what it is. <laughs> Bless your heart. They just, they're just, you know, they got blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, you're an adult. Deal with it, please. Just because you're mad at one person, don't take it out on the rest of the world. I mean, that's what people do. You know that. You can see them all over the place. They're just, you get in road rage and they're mad at somebody else. Mm-hmm. I yeah, say, yeah, yeah. you know, dig it up, fix it, resolve it, may have conclusion, bury that puppy, and have a better life. <laughs> How many brothers or sisters uh, do you have? One brother and uh, my sister is deceased. Is deceased, okay. Yep. It was just the three of us. And I love my daddy, but he enabled both of my siblings and I didn't realize how bad it was until a year before he died. And I thought, oh, brother, I knew it was coming. And you know what? This is the neat part. Daddy trusted me. As I think it goes back to that tomato feel. Because I worked hard and I chose a good life with a very good husband. And I'm proud of my children. One's still in college. He's 30. God bless him. But he'll get there. But, um, you know, I chose a better life. And Daddy was proud of me because I never came back to him after I was married. And I really think, when I think about the, the law of the harvest, I, I sowed good seed into the family, and he trusted me. And that's why he told me things before he died. 
but I was not happy with what I knew was coming. It was like, here comes the tidal wave. It was a little bit ways off, but I knew it was cresting. Oh, my gosh. I mean, my mother had to sue my sister to get her estate back where it was supposed to be. It was awful. So, But you know what? It's given me a real passion for people that their emotions control them, and they don't control their emotions. So out of the three, what number are you? I'm the baby. Ah. And I, you know, babies aren't supposed to do this stuff. We're babies. Right. But I had to be, I had to take over. I didn't want to, but I couldn't rely on the others. I could not. It just was not in my mother's best interest. But, you know, and I could have been really ugly about things when I remember right before my mother passed away we didn't know she was going to die but she sent me a beautiful birthday card I mean it was all kinds of stuff and she put a little hundred dollar bill in it and and she looked at me and said you know I gave your sister the same card now I'm telling you I could have said have you lost your mind does she do one thing for you but why would I do that and I looked at her and I said mama you are the most sweet, you are the most kind, giving, and forgiving person. I said, I'm so proud of you. But see, I had to be mature in me, and it was like a God moment there, because I could have really thrown some tomatoes, you know. <laughs> Why would I do that? That was a very sweet thing for my mother to do. And I wanted her to know how dear that was. But see, I could have flipped it around, but I didn't. I wanted her to know how special that was and how hard it was. Are you a fan of Eckhart Tolle? Because I know that he talks about living in the now and being present. And so when you do that and that situation arise, then you can't think back of all the transgressions your sister may have done. Yes, and the thing that I remember, the good things. I'm, I'm reading a book. It's... Um, Oh, gosh, he's such a great art. last name is Archer. Is it David Archer? And it's called The Happiness Advantage. And I read a chapter this morning, and it says the, the power of three good things. And he said how much your business and your life will improve if you just are grateful and you find things to be happy about and thankful about. And he said that if money is happiness, why are there so many miserable millionaires and billionaires? He said it comes from you will get the business if you have a positive attitude. Know what you're doing. That's for sure. That's number one. But that's a great little book, The Happiness Advantage. Yeah, we're in a, in a meditation group, and in part of the meditation we have to highlight gratitudes. And I know that before going to bed, if I can't go to sleep, I'll remember, oh, my goodness, I didn't highlight in my mind what I was thankful for that day. So I wholeheartedly believe in that happiness advantage. Oh, for sure. And it also, it's, it's the studies they have done. I mean, I was on the program with a woman who dealt with school children, and the book she's written is called Teaching Your Children to Succeed by Letting Them Fail. And they had two control groups. I mean, half the book is research, which is so cool that it's documented. But one group, the smart kids, they said, here's a hard test. We are so proud of you because you're smart. And then the other group, they said, that weren't as gifted. They said, you know what? We are so proud of you because you are such a hard worker. Now, y'all tell me which group do you think did the best? Mm. 
This is a test. So do you think the first group did that we're smart? We're proud of you because you're smart, or we're proud of you because you're hard workers? Oh, the hard workers. That's what happened. The hard yeah. worker group excelled better than the group that said, we, you know, you're smart, and we're proud of you, because then they started to cheat. Hmm. <laughs> because their self-esteem and their, and their comma... <laughs> so to speak, was because they're smart. Well, what about we're proud of you because you work hard? Now, I'm telling you, that's a life lesson for parents right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because um, uh, we're close to the top of the hour, one thing that I want to highlight, I think the whole hour we've been talking about perspective. And one of your questions is, are you looking for life in all the wrong places? It, it reminds me of uh, an accident, right? If a car accident happens, the police take your statement right then and there because it always changes. And so two different people can see that situation but interpret it differently. And so if they're looking for life in the wrong place, what is a, can you give an example of someone that is looking at life in the wrong place and how they could turn it around? Well, I mean, I think our minister had a really good story today. He talked about a little fisherman, and another guy said, wow, you know, you know how to fish. You should buy these great big boats. And he lived in a small fishing village in Mexico. And then he said, really? He said, yeah, they can go to New York, and they can make all this money, and then you could sell it off. And he said, well, what would I do after that? He said, oh, man, you could be in a small fishing village in Mexico. Well, it was, you know, so why? You know, I, I think you need to examine your priorities, and you need to see, are you content? Are, are you doing all you can? Are you the best version of you? Do you have a good sense of humor? Do you handle things well? Do they handle you? And I think you have to ask yourself honest questions. And, I mean, you're good friends. You're, you're go-to people. So, you know, do you, think, do you think I'm handling this properly? Thank God I have older friends in my life. And let me tell you something. There is no filter on these people. They will flat out tell you. And I'm glad. I love it. I think more people should have that. And so people that will tell it like it is, I believe you're one of those people. And if you can tell it like it is and tell us your website and where to get your books, I'm sure our audience would appreciate that as well. Well, the, the books are available in most bookstores, which I'm very thankful. The last book especially, uh, Rhinestones on My Flip-Flops. And a lot of people go to Amazon, of course. And my website is janeherlong, H-E-R-L-O-N-G.com. And I've got a lot of fun little videos on there. I'm, I'm all about women's health because my sister had breast cancer. So I like to see people live well and just have their own sweet tea wisdom and southern fried humor. And I think all of that helps people grow and be better. And then the world gets to be a little bit better too. Absolutely. Well, you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Jane, it was a pleasure. I will have some sweet tea in your honor today. <laughs> Just watch out for those diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> get you. <laughs> Let's stay in touch, Jane. Oh, it sounds good. Thank y'all so much. I appreciate it. Thank You're you. Welcome. All right. Bye.